Welcome back, Corner Kick fam, to a special draft week episode of the Corner Kick Quarantine Kick podcast. We're doing a special Premier League uh, snake draft for you guys later on in the podcast. But first and foremost, we're going to check in on our friendly neighborhood Belarusian League. But first, with me, I have Caleb Rhodes. Hello, hello. And Nathan Strauss. What's up? Caleb Rhodes, do you want to take us to the lovely country of Belarus? Yes, this is really turning out to be one of the most exciting seasons in years in the Belarusian Premier League. Um, We currently have four teams tied for first. We have one, two, three, four, five teams tied for second, uh, two teams tied for third, and three teams tied for fourth. Um, There's actually more points separating 14th from 16th than first from 14th. So things are really going, uh, they're pretty exciting right now. Bate Borisov, Nick's team, have hurtled back towards the top of the table. Um, meanwhile, the brief leaders, Energetic BGU, who started the season off with three wins, have lost three in a row and also haven't scored. Um, so yeah, as long as this league keeps going, I think we can continue to expect um, an exciting uh champions season right if you weren't if you weren't glued to your television or to your sketchy streams of the belarusian premier league the fact that there are literally 14 teams right now that are within challenging distance of both promotion and potentially relegation at the same time should make it must watch entertainment i agree and just on the on the point of my my newly adopted team bate borisov they have not conceded a goal in their last four matches so not only are they roaring back up the table as the presumptive favorites in the league, but they're also doing it in uh, impressive defensive fashion. Oh, so I, it's sci- what? Uh, going off of that, we actually watched a game together. I we should have probably led with that. Like last weekend, we actually watched your team battle Caleb's team, Torpedo Giardino, to a scintillating nil-nil draw. And by scintillating, we mean absolutely frustrating. Yeah, there was a, a there was a distinct lack of uh, clinical finishing on display today, which did enable some you know exciting goal line defensive plays. Um, but definitely, I did not expect to wake up on a Saturday morning and commit to ninety minutes of the Belarusian <laughs> soccer league to see literally no goals. Um, but alas, this is the world in which we live. And it's funny talking about goals that you know. Uh, my team, Torpedo, are currently tied for first place, but they've only scored four goals in five games. So, <laughs> But they do have a league-leading defense um, with only two goals conceded. So, well, As we've said before, the Belarusian Premier League is the top quality league in the, in, in the world at the moment. So uh, as long as they uh, continue to kick a ball around, we will continue to cover it. On that note of Belarusian soccer... We're going to kick it to the Eredivisie, where there are some very interesting developments in terms of ending the season and that consistent discussion that we've been having on this podcast. And then Nathan Strauss, do you want to talk to us about the Eredivisie and their uh, recent decision? Absolutely. So following a decision from the government to ban all public gatherings until at least September 1st in the Netherlands, the KNVB, the Dutch footballing authorities, have decided to cancel the the Eredivisie season and not appoint a champion, nor go through with promotion and relegation. 
one of the reasons that they're able to do this is because there's only two flights of professional football. So it's not as if there is a terribly large pyramid to be uh, dealt with. But nonetheless, clubs like Alan Pardew's Adio Den Haag are able to stay up despite being in the, rele- the automatic relegation positions. It's, it's unfortunate um, because Ajax and AZ, who are the two teams at the top of the table, were actually tied um, and Ajax had an eight goal advantage on goal difference, but it was really going to be a very entertaining uh, stretch run of the season. And in general, uh, the clubs are okay with this. Ajax are actually going to contribute around 25% of their European revenue to a, uh, a money sharing uh, plan that will help keep clubs afloat. But it definitely sets a path for uh, other countries in Europe. And it's it's probably the biggest league so far to have taken definitive action of this kind. Yeah, I think it'd be interesting to see if other prominent leagues follow suit and not declaring a champion and just stopping everything. Um, I think, as you said, it's a bit easier for the Eredivisie to accommodate this solution. Um, I think the thing that is a little bit upsetting is just the lack of finality in terms of a lot of manpower has uh, been put in place to like put these clubs into this position, like Ajax, as you were saying. They were trying to surge into the title, like they were trying to surge towards a uh, second consecutive Eredivisie title. So I think it it, it does it, it does kind of suck that we're not going to see a resolution to uh, the Eredivisie this season. But it'll be interesting to see how many other leagues around the world adopt this adopt this philosophy of not crowning a champion this year. And obviously it's different now than during, say, like the 1943 season, which um, because of TV deals and UEFA and uh, the European leagues and the amount of revenue that's in the game now. But I actually am much in favor of uh, in leagues where there hasn't been a near mathematical certainty for uh, a champion to void the season instead and not appoint a champion. Uh, and obviously it's different comparing the Netherlands to the Premier League because of the billions of dollars that are on the line, not to mention the uh, the fact that Liverpool had such an advantage over the rest of the competition in terms of the standings. But keeping the, the league the same and restarting the next year without promotion or relegation is fairer to me than arbitrarily relegating or promoting teams on the basis of a of an incomplete season. Yeah, I agree. And I think that on the you can't treat teams in the relegation zone differently than you're treating teams at the top of the table, by which I mean that if you're going to if you're going to relegate teams currently, you also have to declare a champion and vice versa. And so I think it just makes the most sense to just declare things void. And I know that sucks for team unless it's mathematically certain, which unfortunately for Liverpool it's not. Um and so I think as Nick kind of mentioned, this is really just terrible news for Liverpool because we're actually seeing, you know, a relatively prominent league set a precedent um, for not declaring a champion and kind of calling the season a bust. And I mean, that, yeah, that that shouldn't take away from the fact that everyone will acknowledge this Liverpool season with a giant asterisk, but Liverpool, I'm sure, um, deserve the de facto title this year and whether or not they end up with a piece of silverware to put in their trophy cabinet um, shouldn't really matter in the eyes of any, you know, sane fan Liverpool were 
clearly well on their way to becoming Premier League champions. But at the I same time, though, it, this, yeah, it does matter. Like it matters it does matter. a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm not going to be uh, satisfied with the title of de facto champion uh 2019 2020 with the asterisk on it i would you know if, if it were up to in a perfect world i would like to see the season be played on behind closed doors uh in just one or two different locations maybe in like that three-week schedule that the premier league tossed out there towards the beginning of this whole pandemic situation but yeah i think it is important and it uh that, that a champion is crowned obviously i'm biased as a liverpool fan but i also think that people are going to like there are there like you need to be crowned champion you can't just say oh yeah liverpool were probably 75% 80% going to go on to win the title right because it's just you still leave yourself open for questioning yeah I and think it, at the end of the I'm, day. I'm surprised that you're taking this position because it seems nathan as an arsenal fan because it seems like a very spursian kind of logical <laughs> mode to take <laughs> Oh, I'm, um, just, I'm just trying to be a little bit more radical. I mean, Liverpool were realistically one or two game weeks away from mathematically securing the, the title. And it's also, I mean, it's if for if the Premier League would decide to not continue the season, which I think is unlikely, I, I do think the Premier League is going to try and play out the rest of the season. Um, it would be terribly damaging for Arsenal. I mean, Arsenal were on a hot run of form, having lost one game in the calendar year. Uh, they were rapidly encroaching on the the Europa League and then potentially a Champions League spot, although that would be unlikely. And it would be a massive uh, a massive success for a team like Sheffield, uh, who's currently ahead of Arsenal, despite the fact that Arsenal would likely eclipse them in a game week or two as well. So, I mean, canceling and voiding the season doesn't benefit any of us from the perspective of fans. Uh, which is why one of the reasons why you know revenue sharing along the reason that I think that uh, the Premier League will end up trying to play out the conclusion of the season behind closed doors. Fair enough. I mean, like, there's rumors right now that the NHL is gonna like move each of the conferences to like a stadium or two and play out all the games there, and I don't see why they couldn't necessarily do that. Um, with the Premier League also. Like, there are enough teams in London, right? Like, it wouldn't require that much travel. They could set them all up in, like, one or two hotels next to each other, and then they would all play games without fans at, like, the Emirates and Stamford Bridge or something like that. It's possible. Yeah, that's what I was sort of alluding to earlier in that uh, in my comments. I think that that is most definitely the way that I think this should happen. I think it should be behind closed doors in a centralized location in which you can get all 20 teams set up to where they can kind of have a functioning, have a functioning end to the season in that way. You know, obviously you need like each club's medical staff, physios, all that stuff. And that would require a lot of people and a lot of moving bodies in one centralized location. But I think who knows it can be done. I think, I think it should be done. And like I was saying before, I'm not going to be, satisfied with an asterisk over this season as a biased Liverpool fan. So I would like to see it happen. Yeah. And there's also some other big Premier League news that Newcastle are about to be bought by Saudi Arabian Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. Nathan, do you want to take take us through that? <laughs> so, yeah, I happen to be writing a paper on the involvement of uh, Gulf States money 
and global soccer right now. And when it was announced this past week that uh, the Saudi Arabia's public investment fund was going to be getting involved with the Newcastle takeover, I think people had a lot of mixed reactions. On the one hand, Newcastle were one of the most poorly run and managed teams in the entire country and largely due to their owner, Mike Ashley, who was pretty much universally loathed by everyone um, up Tyneside. That being said, I don't think that anyone with an eye on global affairs would welcome the influence of Mohammed bin Salman or the Saudi Arabian crown in general into the global game. And of course, they wouldn't be the only uh, you know, gulf or oil nation to get involved in the Premier League. You have Man City owned by uh, basically the uh, Sheikh, Sheikh Mansour of Abu Dhabi. You have the Fly Emirates uh, name everywhere in uh, the global soccer game. But in my mind, there is something a little bit different about Saudi Arabia. And there was a tweet today from the widow of Jamal Khashoggi, who was pleading for the Premier League to uh, not allow this takeover to go through. And public groups like Amnesty International have been pretty vocal in in criticizing this potential takeover. Right. I, I agree with everything that you just said, Nathan. And I think the real disappointing uh, thing that I've seen this week in regards to Newcastle being taken over by MBS and the Saudi, like Saudi Arabian conglomerate is that Newcastle fans seem to just be happy that Mike Ashley is finally stepping aside, not really thinking too deeply about the implications of who is buying their club. I think you've seen, I've seen a lot of Newcastle supporters this week saying, if the Premier League aren't going to police this, if like the world governments aren't going to police this, if the UN aren't going to police this, then who are we as Newcastle fans to police who is purchasing our club or to have any opinion on like the morality of who is purchasing our clubs. And I absolutely disagree with that. I think if you are fans, especially Newcastle fans, who we know have a notoriously loud voice, then you should be concerned with the ethics and the previous history of who is purchasing your football club and where and the money and the money and morality of your football team going forward is coming from. Yeah, this is, it's a pretty like surreal bit of news in all honesty um and it feels a lot like a deal with the devil um for newcastle and i get you know mike ashley is awful just atrocious they just broke their transfer record with jolinton after it had stood for like 20 years despite like every other premier league team breaking it in the meanwhile um and so this influx of money will definitely be welcome but literally the source of it is probably like the worst thing ever. And I think Nathan bringing up Jamal Khashoggi is important because there's like massive consensus that MBS essentially ordered this man to be murdered. Um, and that's different than the other ethical issues of other teams that are, you know, supported by oil money like Manchester City. But like literally to have a world leader who participates and supports extrajudicial murdering of dissident reporters is just like a pretty shocking thing. And it's pretty, I think it's, I think it's just bad for the Premier League brand as much as it's bad from like an ethical perspective. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you mentioned the, the transfer record at Newcastle before it was Joel Linton and Miguel Almoron six months before that, 
it went all the way back to 2005 with Michael Owen. And before that, that was only a million past Alan Shearer in 1998. So while I do understand on a human level, the frustration with a club not being run um, in the, the best interests of fans, there has to be a line between a bad owner, like maybe Stan Kroenke for Arsenal for a number of years, or, um, you know, any other owner that doesn't put in uh, Vincent Tan at Cardiff City and someone who has openly, you know, flaunted international rule. And there's definitely a difference between, you know, multi-billionaires with connection to world leaders and the world leader itself. And I do think that even though this is basically Saudi Arabia trying to put their name and put their stamp on the Western sporting world, their domestic and foreign policy is so discordant with the values of the Premier League that it really shouldn't be allowed to go through. And I'd be very disappointed if it did. Right. And I think about two things just in terms of what Caleb was touching on and the optics of the the Premier League brand associating themselves with MBS. And I think about all of the good work that the Premier League has tried to do this season in terms of snuffing out stuff like racism and bullying and all of that crap from the game and all the positive effort that they've made in terms of social media campaigns and public appearances and stuff like that in terms of bringing that goodwill back and fostering a good environment in the Premier League, which we'd kind of seen decline in recent seasons. And just about how this sort of flies in the face of all of that goodwill that the Premier League has been trying to cultivate with those campaigns by literally allowing someone who, like Caleb was saying, has had his very public crimes in the past into the Premier League. Uh, I, I just think is an optically, it's just such a bad look. It's a terrible look for the league. And also I think about the fact that uh, Mohammed bin Salman and his various uh, associates like to travel to places where they've invested. Like they like to be public figures. And so just having him in the stands at, any given Newcastle match at St. James's Park and the camera cutting to him potentially it would just be such, I don't know, it would just be a really sinking feeling in my gut to to see this happen and, and to have him associated with football on Sunday, Saturday mornings. Yeah, and we should also just be like really clear like who this decision fundamentally lies on, which is Mike Ashley for accepting this offer. Um, and I think that we need to make sure that the responsibility of this switch really does fully go on him. And he could have dealt with this situation differently. He could have said, you know, we are really close to selling the club to Mohammed bin Salman. Um, but I believe in certain values that Newcastle holds. Um, and, you know, despite the troubles we've had, I'm going to wait for the right buyer or something like that. Um, but I, I just think it's important that we don't put the responsibility sort of like amorphously on the Premier League, but really, you know, dial in on who fundamentally made the choice to change ownership of the club. I agree with that. Ashley. But at the same time, the Premier League approved the the transaction earlier this week. So some of this responsibility does fall on the Premier League. They had the uh, the time and the opportunity to review the transaction and review the purchasing party. And they essentially have already approved it. So I think some of the responsibility does lie on the Premier League governing body. But I agree that a lot of this does, most of this does lie on, on Mike Ashley for selling the club to uh, this potential disastrous new owners group. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Just as it has been draft week this past week, starting with the WNBA draft and continuing on 
to the NFL draft these past couple of days, we here at Corner Kick decided it would be fun to do a mock draft of our own. And so the way this is going to work is the three of us in a random order, uh, snake style draft, are going to be picking Premier League players and assembling a full 11 aside with seven subs. So a total of 18 players each. And then we are going to simulate a full season of each of our teams playing in a uh, a league on Football Manager to see which one of us can most successfully create a team of Premier League stars. And there are a couple of rules. Um, first and foremost, uh, you have to have two goalies, as you would on any other team, and you can't pick more than one player from each team in a specific position group. So, for example, you couldn't draft both Trent Alexander-Arnold and Andy Robertson. You would have to pick one Liverpool defender, and we split it up into defense, midfield, and attack. So, Nick, I believe you came up with a random order earlier. Is that correct? I did. Shout out to uh, Nathan Strauss for coming up with this idea for the pod. I think this is an excellent idea on uh, on draft week. Um, and I'm excited to see how this plays out on Football Manager and which one of us can uh, GM their way to the, into the best uh, Premier League side. Uh, our order for drafting is Nathan with the first pick, Caleb with the second pick, and myself with the third and fourth pick. And we'll go on from there. So... Uh, Nathan Strauss, do you want to kick us off with the very first pick in the inaugural corner kick draft? So there are a couple of obvious choices that you could go with from this spot, but the way I'm viewing this is as the with the first overall pick, knowing that I'm not going to pick again until pick number six, I have to just go with the best player uh, available, which I believe to be Virgil van Dyke. And I was torn between Virgil van Dyke and Kevin De Bruyne, but I think that there are more capable midfielders than there are truly world-class center backs. So Virgil van Dyke will be the anchor in my team's defense. Okay, I'm not going to like prologue each of my picks. I'll just keep this going. Uh, I'm going with Kevin De Bruyne with my second pick. So I have picks third and four. So I'm going to go for Imeric Laporte with my third pick and my fourth pick, I'm going to go for Sergio Aguero. Oh, it's back to me. It's back to you. That's very exciting. Um, hmm. <laughs> for the fifth pick, I am going to go for, uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold. With pick six, I'm going to go with N'Golo Conte. And with pick seven, I am going to go with Raheem Sterling. Ooh, that's good. Um, with pick eight, I'm going to go for uh, Salah. With pick... Nine and ten, I am going to go for Bruno Fernandez. Oh, no, that was going to be my sleeper pick. <laughs> oh, man. 
I was yeah. I think okay. So I think Bruno Fernandez has been really electric since coming into the Premier League, and as sad as that is for me, a Liverpool fan to admit, I think he's quickly become one of the best midfielders uh, in the Premier League. So I'm going to take him. Um, and with my tenth pick, I am going to take. Oh, you took Conte, you bastard. Yeah, sneaky. Um, I'm going to take Allison. Mm, interesting. Um, am I, so is it the 11th pick that I have? Um, I will take uh, Abema Yang. Oh, man, I was going to take Abema Yang. Uh, Obama, yeah. Okay, with so I have twelve and thirteen here, and I'm gonna go with Andrew. Oh, I have Virgil, so I can't go with Andrew Robertson. <laughs> you gotta love the rules. No, that's a, no, that's a, no I, that's, a, that's a good rule. I yeah. I, respect, I respect the rules. Uh, I will go in that case. Like logically, I feel like I should go for Harry Kane. But I really don't want Harry Kane on my team. So I'm going to go with Anthony Martial. That's a good Wow. Point. That seems like a little early to take Martial. Yeah, it, it is a little early. <laughs> he was my like, sleeper. <laughs> That's but... a, sleeper. <laughs> a sleeper for sure. Um, but and he's then... awake now. He's awake now. And then... Um... <laughs> um... And then I have 13 as well. Okay. Uh... Ooh. While Nathan is thinking, Caleb, what is your uh, your thinking on picking Obama Yang over uh, over Harry Kane? The man's just Michael slow. Kane? The man's just slow. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I every time I play with Harry Kane on FIFA, and I know that's not what we're simulating. It's not really relevant. I'm just like, really, this is like an 89 rated player or whatever. So I, I'm just really not. And you know, I've always been like a low-key Harry Kane hater for a long time, even though I like I recognize that he's really good. <laughs> this is true. There's several years of canonical uh, Caleb Rhodes and Nathan Strauss kind of bashing on Harry Kane on this podcast. Yeah. Dude, it's just like the goals just happen. I don't understand. Um, he's a he's a good uh, he's a good poacher, right yeah. man at the right time. He's got a good reading of the game. Yeah, like there's something to be said for that. Yes, but Nathan, do you, do you have a pick? Um. I do. I'm going to go Sadio Mane. Honestly, uh, shocking that I picked Martial before Mane, but that doesn't matter. Yeah, that's that's pretty shocking. Uh, but at least you, you have back-to-back, so you can... True, I can rectify, rec- rectify that error. Um, I am going to pick Pogba. Ooh. Paul Pogba. Many people forget that he's still playing in the Premier League. <laughs> Right, yeah. But he is. There's so many players that just like don't really play that much because they're like, yep. injured. Okay, so I got uh, 15 and 16 here. Let's see. So I have a goalkeeper, thank God. I have a good center back. I have a decent midfielder in Bruno Fernandes and a world-class striker in Aguero. I think I need to go for some depth on the wings. Well, first and foremost, I'm going to take Andy Robertson. Hmm. That checks out. And with my next pick, 
see, this is where like my thinking kind of shifts, right? It's like now, since I can't really get good value in terms of wingers, the two wingers that I wanted, actually the three wingers that I wanted in Sterling, Salah, and Mane being gone, I could take someone like Marcus Rashford here. Or I could switch my thinking and try and play a 4-4-2 diamond and take someone like Harry Kane. Which really, yeah, which really doesn't, it isn't my, it's, it's not typically the way that I do things. So I'm not going to do that. I'm going to take Hung Min Son. Ooh, I totally forgot about him. How? I'm not sure because he's really good. But um, Okay, so it's my pick now. Let's see. I am going to take uh, Fabinho. Ooh, I like that pick. That's a good pick. Versatile pick. So now now my midfield is complete. My midfield is uh, Fabinho, De Bruyne, and Pogba. Ooh. That's a, that's a good shot, actually. I'm going to take championship caliber midfield right there. Is it is it fair um, to take Bernardo Silva, assuming that he's a center mid and not a winger? Or are we counting him as a winger? Yeah, I was thinking about that. I think that you can... Oh, in terms of whether he's defined as midfielder attack? In terms of... I think as long, it's just wherever you don't have a Man City player. Yeah, I okay, think yeah. you can take him and you don't have to define him yet. But if you decide to take another Manchester City player that would conflict, it forces him. Right, no, because I already have, I already have Raheem Sterling. So. Oh, so yeah, then he would have to be one of your midfielders. Okay, and I'll take I'll take Bernardo Silva, and I will take Aaron Juan Bissaka. Oh, that's good. That's a good pick. I spelled his last name wrong, but uh, that's ignore that. Uh, I'm going to take. Wait, yeah, it is my turn, right? Yes. yes. Uh, I'm going to take Alderweireld. Ooh, good pick too. Caleb Rhodes, while I'm thinking, tell us uh, why you decided to pick Fabinho so early. An inspired move, honestly. Well, so I, I want, I'm building my team in a 4-3-3. And so I wanted my two attacker attacking type midfielders in De Bruyne and Pogba. And then I knew I needed like a pure defensive midfielder. Um, but because I already had De Bruyne, I couldn't take Fernandinho or Rodri, which meant Fabinho was the only pick after that. Um, and so I figured I might as well just complete my midfield trifecta, which I think is important. Also because Nathan took Conte early on, which was my number one pick in that spot. Um, mm. Yeah. That does seem to make a lot of sense. Uh, but in that vein, I'm going to take another Eno here, and I'm going to take Jorginho. Wijnaldum? No, George. Uh... Oh, actually, yeah, I didn't. Yeah, wait, which Jorginho? Now I'm confused. Oh, oh, with a J. <laughs> oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, I'm taking Chelsea's <laughs> George, the Italian Jorginho. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I won't lie. You said Jorginho, and nothing appeared in my brain. <laughs> um... <laughs> yeah, I'm taking the Italian Jorginho. Uh-huh. And then you have, uh, yeah. Yeah, no, I have one more pick here, so... And I'm going to use that pick to take Cesar as Piliqueta. Mm. Oh, that's a good pick. Um, okay. 
now it's my turn. Yes. Okay, I'm gonna take um Sane. I can't believe see these are these players that like haven't played in so long. Oh yeah, dude. Like, yeah, are dude still up for grabs. The, the Pogba and Sane picks are huge for me. Because <laughs> you guys forgot that you even played soccer. <laughs> They're really good. <laughs> that is true. That is true. Now I have back to back picks. Kind of maybe a little out of left field, but I'm gonna go with Ruben Nevish at number twenty-four. Um but- that's very out of left field. What was that? That's very out of left field. I, I, I like the pick it. though. I honestly, I like yeah, it. Yeah, compl- I'm yeah. I'm also building a four-three-three, and so now I have a midfield three of Conte, Bernardo Silva, and Ruben Neves. So Bernardo Silva can be like the more attacking, while Conte obviously will be a a, a defensive mid, and then I have Ruben Neves sort of uh, orchestrating the midfield, and then another pick. That's sort of out of left field for number 25 is I'm going to go with Luca Digne because I think the quality left backs are few and far between. And I've already been ruled out of taking uh, a Liverpool left back or um, a uh, United defender as well. So the best of what's available to me is Luca Digne. Mm. Now it's back to me. Yes. Sure is. Um, interesting. Yeah, well, you're right. These these left backs are really starting to fly off the board. So I think I'm going to have to grab one. Um, and I will be taking Ben Chilwell. Oh, good pick. Because I also just don't believe in... Um, Benjamin Mendy as a player. So. You have no disagreement <laughs> from this corner. And now it's off to you, Nick. Right, so I'm looking at my board right now. And like Caleb was saying, I'm glad that I got in there and picked uh, Dave Cesar as Piliqueta when I did because these fullbacks are uh, flying off the board. So I, I think I need to take a center back here and another winger. So thinking about position priority in Premier League quality defenders, I'm going to take Harry Maguire here. Mm, <laughs> and it's still me. Oh, right. right, right. Still got one more. And... With my next pick, I need to once again consolidate my uh, my depth on the wing, or just at least get a good attacker in there. Um, unfortunately, the Liverpool wingers and the Man City wingers have uh, come flying off off the board, so I'm going to. I'm thinking about my options here. I'm thinking I could take someone like a little bit more creative, like Woolian, because I already have Finman Son and Sergio Aguero. I could take someone like Nico Pepe, who's probably a good football manager player, 
But if I'm thinking about practically in the Premier League, he's had a good season so far. Um, but I think at the end of the day, I am going to take A little bit of an off-brand pick in my boy, my guy, Roberto Firmino. Mm, interesting. Um, okay, so I, I have a question here, which might give away my position. But So we're simulating this on Football Manager, right? That's the idea? Yeah. yeah. So... Can Fernandinho play as a center back in Football Manager? Yes. Uh, yes, but to like limiting limited ability. No, he, he. I can make it so that he's a natural at center back because okay. I have, I have the editor. So oh, okay. okay. In that case, I'm taking uh, Fernandinho with my pick as my second center back. I like that pick. Uh, I think it's a good pick. Especially seeing as we're we're simulating one season, it's not as if we're like drafting right. for the future. Yeah, we don't eight, we don't and... need longevity exactly. No, that's a good pick. So I have. I'm. I need a. I think I need another uh, another winger, or striker, and. A goalie. So I'm gonna go with. Lacazette, and I'll shift Martial out to the left wing, and then the only goalie taken so far was Allison, correct? Yeah. I'm gonna go. Oh man! See, the thing is, I know David de Gea is probably the best goalie in game, but the way he played this year, I just don't trust him. So I will go. Ooh. I want to go with. I'm torn between Ederson and Rui Patricio. Hmm. And I think I'll go with Ederson. I see. Is it my pick now? Yes. And then after Nick's first pick. We'll be at a full 11, so we can just pause briefly to like write it all out. Right. Um, okay. I am also going to pick a goalkeeper. And who'd you just take? I picked Ederson. Okay, I will take De Gea because it's, it's a game, and I'm focused on that. <laughs> it's a game, and I'm trying to win. <laughs> yep. Nick, who's who's the what's the last position you need to fill out? The last position I need to fill here is I need one more midfielder, and I'm gonna go with the. Uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> um, I am gonna go with Jorginho Vinaldum. Ah, confuse the other team with the yep. Google Jorginho. The, the Jorginho Jorginho. Yes. Okay. And with so my first, no, my we, sh first we should stop with a. Yeah. We should just talk about like what our eleven is. So yeah. So why don't we just pause for a second and just type out in the chat 
um, using like semicolons and whatnot, how we're going to line up. Wait, what? Why can't, I, why can't we just read it out? Oh, actually, yeah, we can just read it out. That read it out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we're going to, we're going to take a brief pause here and just like read out our 11s that we've picked so far. Uh, Nathan, do you want to start with yours since you had the first pick? Sure. So my, I'm setting up in a four, three, three, uh, with sort of one defensive midfielder and two more free floating players. And then a left wing, a right wing, and a striker. Ederson is my goalie. Juan Bissaka is my right back. My two center backs are Virgil van Dijk and... Who's my other pick? Have you not been writing this down? <laughs> Have you not been writing down your picks? Oh, shoot. I messed up. I'm sorry. I, um, I drafted one too many forwards. <laughs> that's then you drafted then you, you that's what you got <laughs> okay so nathan's no longer lining up in a 433 um, oh no he's lining up in a 334 wait do i have permission to change my lacazette pick to a center back no, no. Dude, it's what it is <laughs> it's a draft oh no well, you'll that... just have you'll just have to You'll just have to draft an extra defender. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I'll have to draft an extra defender on my bench. So my (laughs) temporary starting lineup is Juan Bissaka with a center back of Virgil van Dijk, who's going to be pulling the weight of two men. And then a left back of Luca Digne, a midfield three of Ruben Neves, uh, N'Golo Conte, and David Silva. And then I guess a front four of Sterling, Mane, Martial, and Lacazette. Shit! I thought my also, was- also oh, it was Bernardo Silva, not David Silva. In yes, Bernardo. Yeah, Bernardo Silva. Yeah. You know, if there's anyone that you'd want to uh, occupy two spaces in a defense, it would be Virgil Van Dyke. But I think some uh, some shoddy management over there from uh, GM Nathan Strauss, uh, Caleb Rhodes. Hopefully that you, you fared a bit better. Yes. Accounting yes. For your I was. Personnel. I actually have been writing down my picks, and you know, filling my my squad. So it's not a problem for me. My goalkeeper is David De Gea, who, as Nathan mentioned, has been fairly atrocious um, this season. But once again, in Football Manager, he's still one of the top-rated goalies in the game. Then I have Trent Alexander-Arnold at right back. Uh, Alderweireld and Fernandinho, who's being moved from defensive midfield to center back. And then Ben Chilwell, the Leicester City man at left back. My midfield three is Fabinho, De Bruyne, and Pogba, which is pretty killer. Um, and then my attacking three is Salah, Abemayang, and Sané. So all pace all the time um, on the forward line. Nick, what about you? So uh, I'm not super thrilled with this 11. I'm not going to lie to you. I think I kind of overthought this a little bit uh, and went for a little bit too much value when I should have been thinking about football manager. But... I'm lining up in a 4-2 four, four, diamond. could be like a roaming 4-3-3 three, three, uh, with Firmino out on the right. But uh, I have Allison Becker, pretty confident in him as a goalkeeper. And then in a back four, I have Andy Robertson, I'm Merrick Laporte, Harry Maguire, and Cesar Azpilicueta with a midfield of Jorginho, uh, Jeannie Vinaldum, not to be mistaken for the Italian man. And uh, Bruno Fernandez with a front three of Sergio Aguero, Hunman Son, and Roberto Firmino. 
Interesting. Okay, so now as we move, Nick gets his first pick of the substitutes portion. Um, I think we should just say that your substitutes have to be composed of a goalkeeper, two defensive players, two midfield players, and two attacking players. Can we agree on that? Yeah, sure. Okay. So with that, Nick, you can take us away. So since nobody took him, I'm going to take him here. I'm taking Harry Kane as the first player on my bench. I'm surprised that he fell uh, to the bench positions, to be honest. It's kind of brutal. Um, but yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to select him here as the first player coming off my bench. I think it's a pretty mm. good bench player. Yes. Um, so now it's my turn. And now it's really going to test who I remember has been taken off. Um, I've, been, I've written all of them down in the chat. Oh, that's useful. Um, I am going to take... <laughs> I feel like I should also go for a striker to start. Um, I will take Marcus Rashford. That's a good. That's a good shot. Because of my defe- defensive deficiencies in my earlier part of my draft, I'm going to draft two defenders consecutively in Andreas Christensen and Victor Lindelof. Mm, that's good. Um, oh, and now it's back to me. Um, mm-hmm. let's, let's go for a center midfielder this time around most of whom have been taken off the board. Oh, also, we should make it clear that I feel like the team restrictions don't apply to the bench. because otherwise I agree. I was just about to say that. Otherwise, it'll get really complicated. Yep. Um, I am going to take... Um, uh, Rodri... Okay, so now I have two picks. Uh, luckily for me, I don't have a deficiency in defense like Nathan, so I really have the whole board open to me here. Uh, in that vein, I'm going to take Gabriel Jesus. And I'm also going to take my first midfielder in... Mezzanotzil. Ooh, that's that's an interesting pick. Um, let's see which attackers are still available. Has has Mares been taken yet? No, Mares and Vardy are both on the board. Okay, I will take Mares. Okay, maybe an out-of-the-blue pick as well, but I'm going to go with James Milner because I realized that... uh, (laughs) It's a terrible football manager. No, it's not. No, it's not because I'm realizing that there's no way that you can actually, with two defenders on the bench, you can actually satisfy, you know, if you're a left-back position and a right-back position. And conceivably, you could shift someone like Christensen to right-back, but having James Milner, who's a real utility tool, is who I'm going with. And with 43, I'm going to pick... 
Jamie Vardy. Yeah. That's a good pick. Um, let's see. I'm going to fill out my midfield with let's see, I need a more attack minded person. I'm gonna go with James Madison. Oh, that's a good pick. That's what I was gonna take next. I am going to take with my two next picks. Wilfred and Didi. Ooh, that's good. And Antonio Rudiger. Hmm. I'm also going to take a defender this time around. Um, and I'm going to go for Joe Gomez. That's a good pick because that falls right into Nathan's. Yeah, that's that's my play logic. Anywhere along play. the back line. Exactly, exactly. Now I believe these are my last two picks, and then both of you have one more. Does that? We we no, I have two left. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I'll have one more after this. Um, I so I need a striker, a midfielder, and a backup goalie. So I need a striker and a midfielder. I will go with Jack Grealish. That's a good pick. That's that's like the he's like the older he's the he's the James Madison prototype. Right, and then. I will get a backup winger in Adama Traore. That's good. Just because if I need a super sub and I want someone who's just like, frankly, a video game glitch, he's the guy. <laughs> yes. So let's see. I also have a, I need a defender and a goalkeeper. So I'm going to go for, let's see who's left on the board. Um... Uh, I'll go for John Stones. Stones. Dang, how did he sink so far? Because he's bad. No, that's not. I'm just kidding. He's he's. I mean, because he's kind of like he's kind of a bland pick, right? He's kind of like, eh, John yeah. Stones. Like I guess. Nick, off to you. So these are the final two picks in our draft. I need another fullback if I'm going to feel confident about this 18. And I need a backup goalkeeper. So with that in mind, I'm going to take Kepa Aritha Balaga. Good pronunciation. uh, As my backup keeper. And with my backup fullback, I was thinking of maybe... hmm, Going, you know, outside the box a little bit. Maybe trying to get someone like Matt Doherty, the Irishman from Wolves, in. But then I decided on going for a little bit of pace out the back in the form of Ricardo Pereira. That's a good pick. He was going to be my pick. How did nobody take Ricardo Pereira? I just took (laughs) So, So there. Wait, what the literal hell? <laughs> I think I just kind of assumed he was gone. <laughs> Wait, Nick, who's your right back otherwise? 
Uh, Cesar Espelicuanza. Oh, dude, Pereira's better. No, I know. Now I got them both. Damn. It's yeah, true. That, that's a good now, pick. Caleb and I, we both need backup goalies. Yes, I'm going to take Yuris. And I will conclude the draft with Leno. All right, so do we want to read through our 18s? And you can read them. You can read your preferred first 11 and then your bench. So it doesn't necessarily need to be the 11 that you picked off the top. So I'll start with mine. So my 11 that I would like to line up with in a dream scenario with this draft, I'm a little feeling a little bit more confident now uh, after having picked my bench. But I'm going to line up with Allison... Uh, Andy Robertson, Imeric Laporte, Harry Maguire, and Ricardo Pereira at right back. I'm going to line up with Jorginho, Bruno Fernandez, and Jeannie Wijnaldum in midfield. And I'm going to line up with Hunmin Son, Sergio Aguero, and Roberto Firmino. With my bench being Harry Kane, Gabriel Jesus, Mesut Ozil, Wolford Ndidi, Antonio Rudiger, Kepa Arita Balaga, and Cesar Azpilicueta. Um, that's pretty good. I can go with my 11 now. So my, my starting lineup isn't going to change. So De Gea, Trent, Alderweireld, Fernandinho, Chilwell, Fabinho, De Bruyne, Pogba, Salah, Alba, and Sané. And then my subs with goalkeeper, I have Uh In defense, I have the Englishman, uh, John Stones and Joe Gomez. In midfield, I have Rodri and Madison. And then for my attacking substitutes, I have Mares and Rashford. That's pretty solid. And for me, I will be lining up with Ederson, Juan Bissaka, Virgil van Dijk, Andreas Christensen, and Lucas Digne. A midfield three of Conte, Bernardo Silva, and Ruben Neves, although it's possible that Neves might drop out for Jack Grealish, depending on how that, that midfield three link up. And then a three up top of Sterling, Martial, and Sané. Although Martial might also be replaced by Vardy pretty consistently in like the 65th minute mark or so. And then I have a bench of Leno, Adama Traore, Jack Grealish, Jamie Vardy, Andreas Christensen, James Milner, and Alexander Lacazette. Very so good. I will get to work in creating a three-team league. How many games do you want these teams to play against each other? Oh, okay. I was actually curious what you were going to do simulation-wise. Because I was like, you can't just pull these teams from the Premier League and then have them play in the Premier League because then that would totally throw everything off. Okay, so you're going to create a three-team league. Interesting. Yes, and then, you know, there will be no transfers. So it'll basically be like, you know, each team will end up playing X amount of games and it'll be, you know, half of that X against one team, half of the X against the other team. I think... Every team should play each other four times. Sure, that works for me. We can get a real sense of uh, of what's going on. Yeah. Sounds good. So I guess next time we can 
next time I will have the game, I'll have the league loaded, and then we can actually go through match week by match week, since we're only going to have eight match weeks. Right. Okay. Perfect. So that was a pretty interesting draft. I like the way that we set it up in that um, we couldn't draft more than one player for each team because otherwise I could definitely have seen like someone getting like three-fourths of Liverpool's back line. No, right. That's kind of what I wanted to avoid with that rule. And thinking about like in the opposite way, like you could have gotten Salah, Mane, and Aguero or Salah, Mane, and Aubameyang or some configuration of a, kind of an unfair. It just forced you to be like a little bit more creative in the draft process when thinking about like the creation of your team like obviously there's so many talented players in the Premier League but I think having that little wrinkle was a good way to make it so that we had to a little bit think a little bit more on our feet and coming up with a good 11 yeah yeah it's also interesting seeing who who got left on the board um some notable names at least in midfield include David Silva Jordan Henderson uh Mateo Kovacic Deli Ali. nobody took any of those players uh, yeah, and I mean, I think definitely there were some steals as well. Like Ricardo Pereira falling to 52 is an absolute steal. So that's a huge win for Nick. And there were some other picks that were pretty surprising. Like I was surprised Jorginho went at 21 when there were a number of other players that followed like Rashford at 35, even though they're not, they're not comparable or like Rodri at 38. It's just interesting to see how each of our like particular ideologies played into this draft as well yeah i wonder how the game would have changed if nathan hadn't messed up <laughs> well you have to think about that there's always a team that uh in the draft that takes an un- unexpected um turn and causes everyone else to sort of reevaluate yeah because i mean like the way we did it is we all essentially drafted our starting 11 first we didn't just like stockpile attacking players for our bench um and so definitely the dynamics of our or the rules that we set affected the dynamics of the draft. Um, but I think it which is definitely one way that you could have done this is stockpile an attack because it's you thinking video games, right? And that's like the best way to kind of go about winning football manager in FIFA. Right. But I think we all did the sensible thing and thinking about this both as a football manager exercise, both as a football manager exercise and as well as a uh, genuine sort of draft experience if we were to do this in a practical yeah. sense. I mean, three of the first five players off the board were defenders. So I definitely agree in that. I think that you can have, you know, good to great attackers and get away with that, but you can't have, you know, good to great defenders without an elite defender, like a Trent Alexander Arnold or an Imerical Port or a Virgil van Dyke. Yeah, it's interesting. I feel like the all the defenders leaving the board early is kind of like when Gronk would be like the only tight end selected really early in fantasy <laughs> football. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's you yeah, know now it's, it's, now it's uh, Travis Kelsey. Right now it is. Right. Yeah. I, I think like the drop in, off is in, really greater. Right. I think you, you just 
we have to think about like in soccer what positions are really it made me kind of think about what positions are especially valuable right and we think about like how many competent like extremely competent to good like good quality players there are i think caleb rhodes has touched on this a few times that the lack like the drop off in quality especially in fullbacks in world soccer is extreme so like there's only like a a small percentage of really really good fullback talent in the world so that means there's only only like a really small percentage of good fullback talent in the premier league so and in the getting premier that league position, yeah and in the premier league on fullbacks it's so imbalanced between right backs and left backs right like both Kyle Walker and Jao Cancelo nobody drafted them meanwhile like Ricardo Pereira was still able to fall to like 50 something and you know already pretty early I was forced to pick Ben Chilwell and that's nothing against Ben Chilwell as a left back but we left two Manchester City right backs on the board um, and I had to pick Ben Chilwell in like pretty early so I don't know yeah I was tempted to pick pick Hector Bellerin as well at some point but I was pretty happy with Aaron Wan-Bissaka getting him where I did and it's yeah yeah, it's nice being able to... I think we all have teams that we're generally pretty proud of, and I'm really curious to see which one of us comes out on top. I actually think Caleb did the best in this draft. I really like the look of his team. I especially like the all-pace front three that he's got going on. I think tactically, you can probably do the most with my setup. I have a lot of... I went for a lot of like tactically um, savvy players in Roberto Firmino. Uh, Hunmin Son, Bruno Fernandez, Jorginho Wijnaldum, you can do a couple different things with. Um, and Nathan has a good team as well. <laughs> Granted that he is a uh, surplus of attacking talent. Um, but yeah, I'm interested to see where this goes. I think this was a really good exercise for all of us to kind of like stretch our brains and think about the role of soccer GM and uh, all that good stuff. So I'm excited to see where it goes from here. Uh, let us know what you think about the inaugural corner. Oh God, the inaugural corner kick draft, two K twenty. I hope you've had a happy draft week. I've been Nick Vinden. I'm Caleb Rhodes. Nathan Strauss. And we will see you all next time.